I was in a Land Cruiser. I just shifted into third gear. I was headed down an incline, and the phone rang in the car. My friend Elias answered the phone, and it was quiet for a minute. Elias is not a quiet guy. And he began to talk really animatedly in his language. It wasn't English. I couldn't understand. But his conversation increased in its rapidity and pitch. I could tell something was the matter, but I didn't know what it was. Things changed that day in ways I had not expected. My family and I, we had moved to Zambia, Africa, and we were working at a place called Riverside Farm Institute. It's beside a river, and it's a farm. But it's more than that. It's a mission station that does a huge amount of work. I had a little piece there, and I was happy to do what I did. I taught Bible classes, uh, helped out with evangelism. I was in charge of their building program, in charge of the automotive department. I can't use a wrench to save my life. I don't know why they had me do that, but uh, just to make sure the financial spending was appropriate. And I was also in charge of the mill. One of the things that we did there is we would grow maize, which is like field corn, and then it's the staple diet for the entire country, and we would grind it into a flour that they would cook and make balls. And these balls they would use like a spoon to eat all their food. Um, they had a saying, if you haven't eaten mealy meal, you haven't eaten. They had it at every meal, and it just sat heavy on your stomach, and they didn't feel like they had eaten unless they had this, you know. So... Um, we would grind the maize into mealy meal and then we would sell it and we would use the proceeds of that to fund our mission work in the area. It was a brilliant God-designed program because while we were there, the economy in the United States had a setback. It's around 2006, 2007. As you recall, there wasn't a lot of donor funds flowing to help out mission work then. And being able to sell and continue our work was a godsend. So what we would do is we would grind it in our mill, and Elias was in charge of the mill, and we would take and we would uh, go around to different businesses who would provide it for their employees, and so we would sell it to them. We heard about a business that we were headed to to talk to them about our mealy meal, see if they were interested, and in fact, they were. They ended up buying a semi-truck load of mealy meal every month. It was a big order. This particular place had a lot of workers, you wouldn't believe what they grew. Crocodiles. They had a crocodile farm. When we were there, they took us on a tour and we saw them. They had the crocodiles in different, in different uh, pools. And they, they had little ones in one pool and a little bit bigger ones in another pool and bigger ones in another pool and on and on until they had the breeding area where there was crocodiles as long as these pews. They were huge. My family and I visited one of those and... I asked the worker, so, there's a wall like this, maybe a little taller. I said, do you ever go over with the crocodiles? Oh, all the time. Really? All the time. I would love to see that. And you know what he did? He hopped right over the wall, and he says, come on. What would you do? Okay, so I hopped over the wall. But I was careful to position him between me and the crocodiles. 
they were huge. Uh, I got some pictures and then I got out of there. Um, but that's all I feed them with the workers. Um, but you can smell these crocodile farms from a mile away. I mean, they just stink. They're terrible. Uh, but yeah. So Elias and I were in the Land Cruiser, headed to this crocodile farm to talk to them about our mealy meal. He got a call. I could tell he was agitated. When he got off the phone, he was quiet. Elias was never quiet. Elias, what's going on? I think someone's cast a spell on the children at Riverside. Now for you and I, a spell, (laughs) but for them it's serious. Spells there mean things, often life or death. Even though there was, Elias was an Adventist, he still struggled thinking that the spirits had more power than God. He was worried that someone had cast a spell on the children. Elias, why do you think there's a spell on the children? Well, there's about 10 or 12 kids. They're all very sick, and we don't know what's causing the problem. What else could it be but a spell? So we kept driving. On our way back, Elias got another phone call. Things had gotten worse. They rushed the children from Riverside over the mountains, Kapiliangozi, to the hospital. The hospitals there are not like hospitals here. They don't have the same care that we have here, but they are their last resort. They rushed their children to the hospital. Many parents got their things and traveled in buses over there to be with their children. The whole campus was praying. But things seemed to get worse, not better. I was talking with Bob, and his child was better, and she was coming back. Some of the other workers, their children were getting better, and they were coming back. But there was one little girl that seemed to be struggling for life, Jane. I remember Jane. I remember her. We had been visiting a family, and on the front porch there was a bunch of children there, as often is the case. And Jane was standing by a pole. She was wearing a red velvet dress, and she had a shy smile on her face. And I took a picture of Jane. I can't find that picture now. I wish I could. Jane was struggling for her life. We prayed for her. I'd like to pray with you now as we begin our study in God's word. Father in heaven, as we open your word today, help us not to come with our preconceived ideas. But Lord, may we, like an open slate, allow you to write your word in our mind. Help us to understand rightly what the scripture teaches. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I forgot. I put these in here. That's when we lived there. It's Alina and Johanna. They were so cute. I mean, they still are. And there's my youngest four. Taylor must have a mosquito on her shoulder. Yeah, Riverside, good memories, good days. 
This is our 21st message. We have been meeting together for our now fifth weekend, four weeks, and we've been studying different topics in the Bible, seeking to understand better God's will and plan for our life. And today we're looking at a particularly nice thought. We've looked at some that have been challenging and hard. Last night was one of the hard topics, the unpardonable sin, but now we're looking at a rather pleasant one. Prophecies, heavenly thoughts. A lot of people have ideas about heaven. They think of it as um, a not real place. It's just something that's made up. Or maybe it's a cloud that you float on with wings and a harp. Does that sound really exciting to you? It doesn't to me. How many of you remember the billboard that was around Chattanooga? It was a blonde man, had wings on. He was on a harp laying there. And he, it, said, it said, I didn't, you can, buckle up. And so apparently this was him in heaven on a cloud um, with no shirt on and, uh, uh, and then a cloud and wings, you know, I don't know. Different ideas about heaven. Some people think heaven is a state of mind. You'll reach this plateau of heaven. They think that's what heaven is. Is it a real place? Let's see what the Bible has to say. Matthew 3, verse 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This experience that we encounter here of Jesus at his baptism tells us that heaven is not here. Heaven is somewhere other than here. Heaven is a place. It's a real place, heaven. In fact, Matthew 10, verse 32 tells us, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Heaven is not here. It's somewhere else, and heaven is where Jesus' Father, God, exists. Heaven is where God dwells. Mark 12, 32, But of that day and hour knows no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven. Heaven is not here, it's somewhere else. God dwells there and angels dwell there. Jesus tells us something about this place in heaven. It wasn't always a pleasant place. In fact, from heaven have become unpleasant characters, which is why my wife wants to make sure that anyone that's there is safe. She has questions. <laughs> Luke 10, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Heaven is a place where Satan used to be, but is no longer. Satan is now here, and here is definitely not heavenly. Satan has transformed this world into something after his own thinking. Heaven is where Satan was, but is no longer. Mark 16, 19, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Heaven is another place, not here, where the Father dwells and angels dwell, and now Jesus is there. Jesus is in heaven, this place other than earth. Acts 3, verse 20, And that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until... That little word, until. So Jesus is in heaven, and he must be there until what? How long will Jesus be there? Until the times of restoration of all things. God has a plan, and it's not this world. It isn't the way this world is. I mean, he had a plan for initially, but sin derailed that plan. And now it's operating on a different plan. But God wants to restore this world back to his original design, the restoration 
of all things. The restoration of all things. I saw some good news on Facebook this week. My friend Kathy Templin visited her in the hospital a while ago because she was going to have surgery on a tumor in her thoracic cavity. And we had prayer with her. And then I heard later that they could not remove the tumor because it had entwined itself so much around her internal organs that she was going to, they just could not remove it. So they were trying a secondary option of dealing with the cancer and they did with other things, chemotherapy, etc. I saw on Facebook today, she said, I am cancer free. Now is that good news? I mean, kind of. Because in the end, we're all going to die. Even Kathy, if she lives to 150, at some moment, her life will end here. It's good news, but this world isn't the greatest to live in. I mean, it's better than not, right? Mostly. But here we're told that when Jesus comes from heaven, he's going to restore all things. No one will have to face cancer in their thoracic cavity ever again. Hallelujah? Okay. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. These prophets were communicating to us that God has something better in mind. Praise the Lord. At the second coming, when Jesus comes, we have studied this together, we're going to receive new bodies. Jesus is going to take us to live with him in heaven. At that time when he comes from heaven, there will be those with joy waiting for Jesus. Are you going to be one of those? But there will be those with fear when he comes because they have not made him Lord of their life. They've loved things other than God more. They said, no, this world is better than anything you have to offer. And they've hung on to it. And when he comes, this world is going to be destroyed. Those who have not made Jesus their savior are going to flee to the caves and the mountains asking them to fall on them. And then the earth will fall apart. Mountains will fall into the sea. There will be violent shaking on this earth and we're told when that happens, this is what it will be like. Behold, the Lord makes the earth empty and makes it waste, distorts its surface and scatters abroad its inhabitants. The land shall be entirely empty and utterly plundered for the Lord has spoken this in his word. What we see now looks nice compared to what it will be like. The trees, the cities will just be destroyed. The beautiful mountains we see will just have crumbled off. The islands that are there will have disappeared into the sea. This world will be a wasteland, a desperate place. Satan will be left here. Now I have some good news for you. Matthew 5, verse 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Are you excited about inheriting a wasteland with dead bodies scattered from one end to the other? I can't wait. Thank you, Jesus. What a promise. Inherit the earth. I mean, if I was going to write this, I would write, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit heaven. I mean, don't you want to inherit heaven? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit heaven. But that's not what Jesus said. It's not what he said. You will not inherit heaven. You will inherit the earth. So let's look at John 14 together. Thank you for the scripture reading this morning, Nate. John 14. 
Hope you have your Bibles with you. If not, there's a little red one right in the pew in front of you, conveniently placed. John 14, verse 1. I want you to read this with your own eyes. John 14, verse 1. Here we go. Jesus said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Do you ever face trouble? Does your heart ever become troubled? Is there enough in life to cause you trouble? Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. And this is why. You believe in God, believe also in me. If we believe in God and we place our trust in Jesus, we don't have to be troubled because he has a plan. Verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So, in his father's house, there are many mansions. Not one, not just for him and his father. There are many mansions. And here in this mansion place, he's going to prepare a place for us. Wow. So whatever we have here isn't the end of the story. God has something better, and Jesus has something better. But how do we get there? Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. This promise Jesus left his disciples comes down to us today. Jesus is preparing a place for us, and he's going to come again. Praise God. And that place that he's prepared in the mansions is for us. I'm looking forward to that. I hope you are. Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These that were listed in Hebrews as having faith in God were pilgrims and strangers on the earth. Sometimes the things of this earth become so uh, engaging. Uh, we get a mortgage and we have a car and we're planned for our retirement and we just plan forever as though there is no heaven. But, but the scriptures teach us something entirely different. You are here in a temporary way. You're a pilgrim and a stranger here. Sometimes we get caught up in politics. Oh, you need to vote Republican. No, you need to vote Democrat. No, Tea Party. You know, you have your different whatever and whatever country it is. And, and we argue these politics. But the fact of the matter is, your citizenship isn't even here. It's in heaven. And as far as my Bible tells me in Daniel chapter 2, there is no political structure that has the solution to the problems of this world. You might try to argue Tea Party is it, or a Democratic Party. or You might try to argue one of those is the solution, but as far as I read it, the stone cut out without hands destroys every political structure here. The only political solution is Jesus changing your heart. And in fact, that's what's changed more in this world than anything else. Jesus didn't use politics. He used acts of caring, kindness, and love. How can the church change the world? The same way. Pilgrims and strangers on this earth. We live here. Just imagine a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, a million years from now, a billion years from now, a trillion years from now, looking back to the little point in time where we lived. Wow, I was just there just a short time, just briefly there. Why did I put so much effort into stuff that 
is burned and gone. Why didn't I put effort into people that are still with me a trillion years from now? This is what gives us perspective. Those in Hebrews understood that they were pilgrims and strangers here because this is going to end. But it won't end in the new earth. Pilgrims and strangers. Now this talks about Abraham. It says, he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew that he was a pilgrim here and that he had a place that God prepared for him called a city. Abraham, what is this city? Well, we hear more about it. God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. So Jesus told us in Matthew 5, verse 5, that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Abraham lets us know that God has a city prepared for them. Jesus says that he is a house with many mansions and he's going to prepare a place for us. What is this city? Well, John saw a picture of this city. Revelation 21, verse 2, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. This is the city that God has for you. This city is like a bride prepared for her husband. It's beautiful, a beautiful city, and in there, there are mansions, and Jesus has provided a place for you. The foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Now, I used to build houses, and one of the most important parts of a house is the foundation. It's that which gives the house strength to last for a long time. And this city doesn't have any foundation. It isn't concrete. It's precious stones. And it isn't just one foundation. It's layer after layer after layer. Twelve foundations of precious stones. The foundation is visible. You're able to see it, at least for a certain period of time. Twelve layers. And the building of the wall of it was jasper and the city was pure gold like unto glass wow the wall was jasper what does jasper look like i google jasper what does get jasper look like there i couldn't there's, there's green jasper there's red jasper but johanna figured out johanna's sure that jasper is orange and red mixed together so when the new jerusalem comes and you see the color and it's orange and red you can high five her johanna good job there we go there we go. Orange and red. And the city was pure gold like unto clear glass. How is gold like clear glass? I don't know. I think John was try trying to describe what he could see with the best words that he had. Now this city has 12 gates, three on each side, 12 gates, and they were a pearl. Imagine the oyster these gates came out of. <laughs> wow. And every... Several gate was one pearl. Imagine, this beautiful pearl is the gate, but the gates are always open. They're just there as a beautiful symbol of this is where you enter in. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were, transparent glass. Can you imagine walking on gold like transparent glass? Now, there's a, there's a saying that isn't really true, but people use it. Peter is standing at the 
gates of the city and, and people are wanting to come in and, and they have to have a right to enter into the city. And so um, this one man comes with bags and he looks really suspicious. And what do you want? Well, I want to come into the city. Well, what do you have in those bags? Oh, nothing. Can I see you in the bags? If you must. And he looks in there and he sees gold. Bags full of gold. And he says, can I come in? Well, first I need to talk to the father about this. Hey, there's a man out here that has, he has pavement in his bags. Should I let him in? I mean, gold here we consider to be the epitome of wealth. There is just stuff we walk on all the time. How many of you recognize this place? How many of you have visited this place? Okay, wow, I'd like to talk to you later. Wow, impressive. This place is one of the most secure places in the United States, Fort Knox. Here's a picture inside. Bars and bars and bars of gold. Each bar is worth approximately $400,000. Maybe more now, I don't know, around that. There is 147.3 million ounces of gold stored at this facility. That equals 9,200, excuse me, 9,206,250 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. The government says that it has a book value of $6.22 billion as of August last year. Uh, what I had was billion. Yeah. It could be. Wiki, you know, doesn't get everything right. Wow, streets of gold, foundation, different layers of stones. What else about this city? The city is laid out as a square. There's an old hymn that I like, The City Four Square. How many of you have sung that song, The City Four Square? It's a nice song. You should sing it sometime. The city is laid out as a square. Boom, boom, boom. Square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So how long is a furlong, Chris? Okay, it's 1,378.4 miles. So is each side almost 1,400 miles? Well, it says he measured the city with the reed. It doesn't say he measured one side with the reed. So this could easily, this could be the circumference of the city. So if you take 1,400 miles and you divide it by four each side, it could be 344.6 miles each side. That's a long ways. That's approximately the length from east to west across Colorado. You could take this city and set it down and it would be about the size of the state of Colorado. There was a mathematician that put some calculations together and he calculated two billion people could live on the first floor. And there wouldn't be a lot of space, you know. It's not like you have your own backyard. But it's length, breadth, and height are equal. Could you imagine a city that extends up 344 miles? I, this city is huge. There, there is no city in the world as big as this one. And it's gold. Here we are, right there. Actually, actually, fact, it will not land on Colorado, okay? <laughs> Just letting you know. You don't have to be worried about your home or your real estate. It will not land there. In fact, we know where it will land. Um, 21 verse 2, we're coming back to where we, had, John saw this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This massive city is going to be uprooted from heaven. And John says he saw it coming down from heaven. That must be how he saw the foundations. Coming down from heaven as a bride. Imagine this city floating through the sky. Wow. We're told in Zechariah 14 that Jesus will come and he is going to touch the Mount of Olives. That's not Colorado. And it's going to split and make a big plain. And the city will land there. The city is going to land there. And at this time, at the end of the thousand years that we studied last week, the, the wicked dead will be raised and Satan will rejoice. I have people to tempt again. And he's going to go inspire them and say, let's take over the city. See all that gold? It could be yours. Look at us. There's, we're as many as the sands of the sea. We could, we could just surround it like ants and take over it. And so... When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed from his prison. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. It's compassed with all these people and they're going to take it over. And then we have the great white throne judgment and the books are shown and each person recognizes that they have done wrong and their judgment is fair and every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And at that time, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Think about that moment in connection to this text. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What must it be like for God at that moment with this city that he's prepared for every person on the earth do you think God cries? In fact, the scriptures tells us that Jesus wept. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world had reached a moment that he did not want. He did not want to condemn the world. But God is just. Justice will be served. Those that do not want God in the end will receive judgment. Fire comes down from heaven out of God. The wicked are destroyed. We study this thoroughly. They become ashes under our feet. And then we're told this in Peter. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It is at this time that God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. What more could be included in all, heaven and earth? I think that encompasses it all. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. God creates an entirely new world. Can you imagine it? Seeing trees come into existence. Seeing, I don't know, maybe the land formed. I don't know what I was going to do. Animals and birds and fish, wow, an entirely new world. All things are become new. What we saw with our eyes in the past, what we see now will no longer be. It's that which we don't see that will be a rea reality. Do you believe that? 
that God has a reality we do not see now. We can only experience it by trusting that his word is true. Is it true? It's true. Then this is powerful. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be their God. Can you imagine? Right, God is in heaven, we are here. But there will come a day when God will move his dwelling place to this little planet. This will become, in a sense, the center of the universe. God's throne will be here. And from one Sabbath to another, all flesh will come here to worship God. Amazing. God will dwell with us. How marvelous will that be? And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the lamb is the light thereof. Wow. God's presence here on this earth. And here we are, one Sabbath to another, we will worship him. The scripture tells us in Philippians 3, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like to his glorious body. Some of you are saying, I can't wait. I'm tired of the aching bones, the issues that I have going on inside. The older I get, the more pains I have. The scripture tells us that we're going to have a new body that's gonna be like his glorious body. What is that body going to be like? Well, we can look and we can see what it was like for Jesus. It says the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Praise God for the new bodies he will give us. John 20, 26 tells us a little bit about Jesus' glorified body. This was after his resurrection, and after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace be to you. Jesus, in his glorified body, went through a shut door. He's a spirit, but somehow he's also a body they recognize. Somehow he was able to go through a door. We're going to have a glorified body. Somehow things will be different. I don't know what that's gonna be like, but it seems neat. Maybe too many Star Trek movies for me, right? Beam me up and never mind. Uh, John 21, don't watch that, it's not a good program. Uh, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples asked, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus was recognizable in his glorified body. Some people wonder, uh, will I recognize my family members in heaven? Will I be able to know them? Well, the disciples knew Jesus in his glorified body. And so I would say it's the case that, that yes, we'll be able to recognize our loved ones. In fact, we're told this interesting story. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, we must know who Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is. So we'll be able to ask them, so Abraham, tell me, what was it like when God spoke to you? When he gave you that promise and he showed you the stars, what was that like? And he made the covenant and he walked through the sacrifice. What was that? We could talk with Abraham. And Isaac, we can ask Isaac about his life and Jacob about his life. Uh, Jacob, you are the deceiver. How does it feel to be known as that? <laughs> and he could say, well, I have a savior that can save even deceivers. 
praise God. We could ask Peter, Peter, what was it like when you fell under the water? Peter, in my life, I felt like I was under the water a lot. And Peter would say, well, when I, when I raised my hand, Jesus saved me. And we could say, yeah, this, Jesus saved me too, praise God. And we could talk with those who have come before. We will know our loved ones. Praise the Lord. And then we're told this fascinating insight about what it will be like. There's many scary things on this planet. In fact, that's one of the reasons I do not visit Australia. The most dangerous plant animals on the planet live there. Saltwater crocodiles and snakes, and it's just a scary place. And what? And spiders, yeah, I do not like spiders. And the nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. Uh, this does not give us license to do snake handling in our church, folks. This is in heaven when snakes are nice. Heaven is going to be where there's no fear of animals. It's, in fact, Isaiah says, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. There will be no hurt nor destruction in all his holy mountain. Everyone will be plant-based there, even the animals. I offended somebody here. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Come to dinner with the doctor. We'll tell you all about it on Monday, okay. The wolf also shall dwell with a lamb. The leopard shall lie down with a young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And the little child will be leading around wolves, leopards, and lions. Can you imagine that, Michael? Justin? Amy? Natalia? Can you imagine leading around? I'll look at my pet lion. Would you like that? My pet leopard. Faith will be leading around her pet Chris. Look at this. A little child shall lead them. I didn't mean she's a little child. I, <laughs> the cow and the bear will graze. The young ones shall lie down together, and the lion and the ox shall eat straw like the ox. God intended them to be vegetarians, not to eat each other. This world has become polluted and distorted, and we experience pain like God never I intended. Now, are you excited about this city that God has for you? Are you excited about the streets of gold? the walls of jasper, whatever that is, the foundations of many colors, about watching, or I guess you would be in it, coming down to this earth. I can't wait for that city ride. Not a plane ride, a city ride. But there's something even more. This is so fascinating. Look at this. Isaiah 65 tells us, they shall build houses and inhabit them. Even carpenters will be needed there, but you'll be your own carpenter. You're going to build houses and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. In heaven, you're going to have a city home and a country home. How nice. And you will be able to build it and plant vineyards. So we'll come to the city to worship God and then we'll go out to the country. Just, and, and the scripture tells us there's no more sea. There's enough land to share. You can have your own million acres, no problem. I'll take California. They shall not build and another inhabit. Your home will be yours forever. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. We will have things to do with our hands, but not like the work now. No, it will be far more glorious. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. When we put the stretch of our minds to the task and try to imagine what heaven would be like. The scripture tells us that, that we can't even fathom what that will be like. 
But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God has things prepared for you that you can't even imagine. When you compare the things of this earth to what God has for you, there is no comparison. If the scripture is true, God has a home for you, a city in which the builder and maker is God. Do you want that city? Are you happy with what you have here? We were praying for Jane. Praying for her life. But our prayers weren't answered. The call came that Jane, the only one of the children, died. An innocent little girl we were heartbroken. And then I was asked to do the worst thing I've ever done in my life. They said, Chris, you're a carpenter. Will you make the coffin? I've built lots of houses. I can floor joists and flooring and walls and ceilings and rafters. But a coffin, I would never want to build someone a coffin. How could I tell the parents no? How do you, what do you do? I mean, okay, how tall was she? How wide are her shoulders? How do you make a coffin? I chose the nicest wood I could find. I cut it. I fastened it together. And they came and picked it up in a truck. And they took it to the house of her parents. And they put her in that coffin and we gathered around this coffin and wept. This world is sad. It's disappointing. And I don't care what next iPhone comes out. It's not satisfying. Because there will be another one that will be better. And it will distract me more from time with my Savior. In the end at night when the battery is dead on our phone, and we have nothing to contemplate but this sick life. Are you happy with it? God has something better. It isn't this. The sound of her parents weeping as this poor little girl was lowered into her grave. I'd never been to a, a funeral like this. The parents came up and took dirt in their hands and threw it on top of that. I could still hear the sound of those claws hitting the top of her coffin. Her uncles with their own hands while we stood there singing put shovelful after shovelful and laid her in the ground. Something in my heart reviled against this. It seemed wrong. Why? It's because of sin that I seem to love all too much. That's why people die. That's why there's death. But it's not what God intended. And in fact, the scripture says that he is going to restore all things. This little girl has the opportunity of raising in direction, resurrection. That little coffin has the opportunity of bursting the screws that I put in it, the ground flying out, the dearth moving, and her coming up in the resurrection. 
She has the opportunity of seeing the city that God has prepared for her. She has the opportunity of living for a billion trillion years, building her own house, planting a vineyard, living with God. You have that opportunity. Do you want it? Do you want it? It's not complex. It's not complicated. The way we can have the city that God has for us is to put our trust in the one who died for us. To day by day walk with him, listen to his voice, and experience his joy and power in our life. Do you want that? This is presentation 21. We're almost complete with our prophecy seminar. It's my prayer, my heartfelt desire, that not a single person in this room be missing from that city. In fact, every single person, I expect to see you there, in the city, in the mansions, in the places where Jesus has prepared for you. You wanna be there? You wanna commit to being there? Lord, I will do whatever it takes to be in your city. I can't trust my heart, but I can trust you. I can't trust anyone around me, but I can trust Jesus. Are you willing to commit to that? I want to invite you to stand. If you're willing to commit to being in the city, four square. If you're willing to commit to standing on the streets of gold. If you're willing to commit to doing whatever it takes to be there. Amen. God in heaven, we're standing today because we believe that you have something better. We're not satisfied with this old earth, but the scriptures tells us we're going to inherit the earth made new. God in heaven, our hearts are desperately wicked. We can't even trust ourselves, but Lord, we know Jesus died to redeem us, and we cast ourselves into his arms, praying, Lord, that you would save us in spite of ourselves. Lord, we stood today because we believe that you live, that you exist, that this world is not worth hanging on to. We want to be in that city and we want to dwell with you. Lord, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.